Uh, but this evening, I'm glad to be continuing our series on winning the war in your mind. I hope uh, that after the last several weeks, you've begun to realize that what goes on with our thoughts is not trivial. It's actually a matter of, of uh, spiritual life and death. We may not always think of it that way. We may give a lot more attention to our outward actions, our outward sins or, acts or, or good works. But really, what we've been seeing in this series is that all of that springs out of what goes on in our minds. The, the, the enemy's work in our lives doesn't start with our actions, with what we say, with what we do, with how we treat other people, with where we go. The enemy's war against us starts in our mind. So if we're going to be victorious as Christians, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to do uh, good for the kingdom of God and fight against the kingdom of darkness, it's going to start with our thought life. It's always going to start in our thought life. We've learned that our minds are not playgrounds. They're battlegrounds. We may treat them like playgrounds sometimes. That is part of the problem, isn't it? But it's actually a battleground where, where spiritual battles are won or lost. Therefore, you and, and I need to approach our thoughts like we are going to war. Because in fact, we are going to war every day. And because we're going to war in our minds, I want to do my best uh, during the series and especially this evening to equip you to fight, to be successful. And, and to do that, we need to learn about a certain kind of warfare that you probably didn't know was warfare. Just when the word warfare comes to mind, we think of a lot of militaristic terms, don't we? Like uh, chemical warfare, uh, nuclear warfare. Uh, when I was a kid for years, I thought guerrilla warfare meant guerrillas that were fighting each other. I realized later on that's not what it meant. Anybody else feel that way? Okay. It wasn't just me. Thank you, Mindy. I found out when I was like 21 that that's not what that meant. Um, but, but here's, and you know, we have all kinds of images that come to, come to mind. In fact, I did just a little search in, in, in Google Images for warfare, and all of these militaristic images came up. Grenades, guns, tanks. Here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Meditation as spiritual warfare. Meditation as spiritual warfare. Warfare. This is probably not something that comes to your mind when you think of words like war or fight or, or battle. But when we look to Scripture, what we discover is that one of the most powerful disciplines for Jesus' followers, one of the most powerful weapons in our hands for winning this war in our mind is meditation. And it also happens to be the most one of the most neglected, one of the most ignored, one of the most misunderstood. In fact, in fact it's quite likely that um, when it was announced we were going to do a series 
on winning the war in your mind, you may not have thought, man, I guess at some point there's going to be a sermon on how to meditate. Most of us probably didn't assume that was coming down the pike, but though it's one of the most neglected and ignored and overlooked disciplines for, for Christians, it is also one of the most powerful weapons. Now, when I just bring up the word meditation or meditate, some of you are already uncomfortable. Because what, what goes across your mind when you hear that word is, uh, you think maybe of people going to yoga class, which may weird you out, may, or, may weird you out, may not, that's fine. Uh, you, you may think of people that have to sit in, in specific postures and have to close their eyes and, and have to hum for, for so long, they have to cross their legs. You may imagine someone who goes out onto a mountain or, if, or in a cave that's trying to just uh, disengage from reality, right? When you hear the word meditate, what you may be assuming that that means is you may be thinking uh, that means to empty your mind, now, there is a biblical kind of meditation. It doesn't come from Eastern religion. It doesn't, it's not a new trend. It's, it's nothing new. There is a biblical kind of meditation. Now, if those are the images that came to your mind when you hear the word, it, it makes good sense that you don't think of that as, as warfare. But, but biblical meditation, Christian meditation, the kind that is both exemplified and commanded in our Bibles does not call for specific postures, doesn't require you to hum, it doesn't necessitate you going to live in a cave or going up in a mountain or joining some cult. And most of all, you need to know this, biblical meditation is not at all about emptying your mind. It's about filling it. It's about filling your mind with God's truth. And, and when we fill our minds with God's truth, by that very act, we are declaring war on the kingdom of darkness and its lies. When you as a believer choose to include in your life, choose to uh, in, in, include in, in your habits and in your daily disciplines this practice of meditation, you are going to war against spiritual darkness by filling your mind with God's truth. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Here's how this is kind of structured. We're going to ask three questions. Number one, what is Christian meditation? And then what is Christian meditation do, and then three, how can I start? So what is it? What does it do? How do I start? Let's start with the first question. What is Christian meditation? If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. If you, if you don't uh, have one or you want to look at the screen, the, the first two verses of Psalm 1 are, are up on the screen. Now, uh, the, the Psalms are not just, um, you know, the largest book in all the, in all the poetry of the Old Testament. Uh, the Psalms, as uh, the, the uh, worship handbook for God's people, show us how to live a life talking to God and living in God's presence, okay? So, Psalm 1 isn't as much of a prayer as it is kind of a prologue to get the most out of Psalm 2 to Psalm 150, Okay? 
In, in other words, uh, Psalm 1 is kind of like the user manual that tells you if you want to get a lot out of the Psalms, if you want to live a life of worship, if you want to live before the face of Israel's God, then you're going to have to understand a couple of things. And here is how Psalm 1 describes the blessed person, the, the person that lives in the goodness of God, the person that lives before the face of the God that the rest of this amazing book is going to praise. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The psalmist is telling us this. If you really want to know what it means to live as one of God's people, if you want to know what it means to take Psalm 2 to 150 and live a life of worship, live a life in front of Yahweh and be blessed by him, uh, square one is this, meditation. And not just experimenting with it or playing around with it or doing it once, but meditation in his word day and night. The psalmist is saying that if you want to live as one of God's people before God, that you need to practice constant meditation. So if this idea of meditation is foreign to us, then it it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be at all. What does the word mean? Well, the word meditate in Psalm 1 and in Joshua 1, which we're going to look at later, uh, is similar to the idea of ruminate. Rumination. And uh, this literally uh, is what cows do to their cud. Isn't that just adorable? So, uh, yeah, this is gross, but it's going to help you, I promise. It's from the Bible. Well, not really, but the, the word is. Okay, so uh, cows get a mouthful of grass. Are you grossed out yet? Uh, they, they chew it up, swallow it, Then they throw it back up in their mouths, after being chewed and swallowed, chew it some more, swallow it again. Then they throw it up back in their mouths again, chew it up, swallow some more, and then they do this over and over and over and over. They ruminate. That's the idea behind the word meditate. Meditating is is, uh, taking a thought, in our case, some scripture, some of God's word, And not just reading on it, not not just brushing by it, not even just memorizing it or hearing it in a sermon, but it's taking it and chewing on it, you know, by thinking about it, swallowing it, bringing it up, bringing it back to mind, chewing on it again, swallowing it, bringing it back to mind, chewing it on again, swallowing it, and doing it over and over and over. We're not talking about casual Bible reading. We're not talking about a, a, a verse on your daily calendar. Now, those things are good this is more. We're not even talking about Bible study because you can analyze Scripture without internalizing it. We're talking about repeatedly taking in the words of Scripture over and over and over again. Okay, why do cows do this? All right, the Sunday school answer is, well, because God made them that way. That's what my daughter would say, and that's true. But why do cows do this? Because When cows chew their cud, it allows them to get the maximum amount of nutrition from their food. 
And in a very similar way, we, we meditate on God's truth for this reason. It allows us to get the maximum amount of spiritual nutrition out of our godly thoughts. So when you're reading Scripture, you're thinking about Scripture, you're meditating on three or four verses. As you think about those verses over and over and over again, and you just sit there for a while, and you chew on it and swallow it and bring it back up, it allows you to get the maximum amount of spiritual nutrition from those thoughts. Uh, Let's use a a different analogy. Uh, Let's think about meditation like this. Um, Coming into contact with God's truth is sort of like brewing tea. Now, uh, when you you brew tea, if you want, you know, a really um, light, uh, watery tasting kind of tea, you can just sort of dip it in there and bring it back out and then throw your tea bag away and you'll have a cup of, you know, barely tinted water that you can call tea. That's one way to brew tea. But that's not how most of us brew tea, is it? In fact, if you, if you buy little tea bags that have the time on the little label that sticks out of your cup that falls in there sometimes, it'll say like three minutes or three to five minutes or seven minutes. And uh, what are those time markers? Well, th- that's telling you how long to steep the tea. Because if you want to get the full flavor and effect of the tea in the water, you have to leave it in there for some time. That's how we steep tea. Now, when you hear a sermon, read a verse, go through your Bible reading, you're dipping the tea bag in the water. But when you meditate, it's like leaving it in there for the full five minutes or six minutes. Do you get the idea? Is this, is this making sense? Don Wendy puts it this way. Meditation is letting God's Word brew in our brains. Meditation is letting God's word brew in our brains. It's taking God's truth slowly and and intentionally absorbing it into our minds until it changes how we think. And it will change how we think. So, So that's what meditation is. We'll get into some more practical ways on how to do this in, in a moment, but for now, I just, I, want, I really want to sell you on this idea. So, here are a couple of things that, that Christian meditation does when we practice it, okay? Here's a few things. Number one, meditation exposes temptation. Meditation exposes temptation. Now, I know this has been a recurring theme in this series. We've talked about how our enemy fights against us, and, and we remember that he fights against us by telling us lies. We go back to the garden. Satan did not say, eat from the fruit. He didn't have to. Instead, he raised questions in Adam and Eve's mind about the goodness and the character of God. Hey, you know, if you eat this, this really isn't going to happen. He, he lied to them. So, uh, if we're going to deal with temptation... Remember that remove and replace principle? If we've been believing lies, things that aren't true about us or things that aren't true about God or, or how God works in our lives, we're going to have to counter that with God's truth. But a lot of our temptations that we deal with, we've began to believe them because we've meditated on them. So, 
Think about back to Genesis 3. E, uh, Satan lies to Adam and Eve about the fruit. Eve hears the lie. And, and when she hears Satan, does she immediately take the fruit? No. Something happens in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Hold up a second. The next words are she took. Why did she take? She'd been thinking. She'd been thinking about the devil's lies and she came up with all these propositions. This looks good for food. You know, this is really pleasant to look at. It looks really nice. Can something this beautiful be bad for me? Is God really telling the truth and its desire to make one wise? Could I really be like God? Could I really decide between good and evil? Can I run my own universe? Do you see what's happening here? Eve doesn't hear the lie and act. And neither do you. The reason Eve acted is because when she heard the lie, she meditated on it. That's how she comes up with all these thoughts. And by the way, we do the same thing in our sin, don't we? Because sinful acts don't come out of a vacuum. You don't just sin because you were tempted. We sin when we give into temptation based on how we think about that temptation, based on how much attention we give to it. See, the lies that you believe, the ones that have really sunk into your soul, the ones that have a deep foothold in your life, they don't just occur to you. They don't just fly by your brain. You sit in them and you think about them. See, if you're greedy, you've, just, you've not just had a temptation to be greedy. You sit and you think about money and you think about possessions and then you think about money and you think about possessions and you think about money anything about possession. See, one of the things we have to realize about meditation is that all of us are already professional meditators, right? You know how to take one thought and roll it around in your brain again and again and again and again and again and again and again. If you have anxiety and you doubt God's goodness, you know what you're doing? You're meditating. Man, why would God let this happen? I can't believe God would let this happen. Why would God do this to me if he's so good? What? That, that's called meditation. You see, the temptations that really get a hold on our, in our lives do so because we give sustained thought and attention. In other words, we're doing to those meditations what the psalmist says we're supposed to be doing with God's Word. We think about it, and we think about it, and we think about it. If one of the lies you are believing is, I am not enough, this thought doesn't just occur to you, does it? Because some of you deal with this. You're dealing with it this week. This is your besetting lie that you keep finding yourself believing. And it's not just that those words flash by your brain, I am not enough. No, you sit in it and that steeps in your mind. If your thought, if the, the lie that you believe is God really doesn't love me, this, these aren't just words that occurred to you. This is tea that's brewing in your spiritual brain. It's sitting there. It's occupying space. And you think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it. You see, meditating on the devil's lies leads us to feel the maximum amount of spiritual damage from ungodly thoughts. And it's not just greed. It's lust. 
If, you, if you're having a tr- an issue with lust, it's not because you've just been tempted lust. It's because you meditate on lust. Meditating on lies leads us to feel the maximum amount of spiritual damage to our souls from ungodly thoughts. Likewise, meditating on God's truth, I hope, you, I hope you see this, meditating on God's truth allows us to get the maximum amount of spiritual nutrition out of our godly thoughts. The, the temptations that you've meditated on the most end up leading to the most destructive actions in your life. Now, we can all, whether you've practiced Christian meditation or not, we can all identify with this because we've all been in sin. We're all sinners here. And we know what it's like to give so much thought to a temptation that eventually it eventuates into an action and it messes things up, doesn't it? We know how powerful meditation is because we've all been affected by it, mostly in negative ways. God isn't asking us in his word to do something we don't know how to do. He's not asking you to do a new practice. He's just asking you to change what you meditate on. Do you see why this is so important? We need good meditation as believers, if only for the reason we have been practicing bad meditation for so long. Because it comes so natural to us, doesn't it? Meditation helps us recognize temptation as we give time to think and think and think about God's truth. We'll see temptation for what it really is. We'll see lies for what they really are. We'll notice the sins that have come out of our sinful meditations. Then number two, meditation helps us fight sin and obey God. Meditation helps us fight sin. Joshua 1.8. I love this speech and, and, and how significant it is. Think, uh, here, here's, what, here's what it says. Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. What does God want the leader of the Israelites and the Israelites of themselves to do as they're going into the land? What does he say? Joshua, you and the people, keep all my laws. That's not what he says. Did he want them to keep his laws? Yes. Did he want them to do according to all that was written therein? Yes. But God doesn't say, hey, do according to all that is written therein. No. He says, meditate on it day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. God's desire for his people is not just covenant obedience, because covenant obedience doesn't just happen. God's desire for his people is to fill their minds with his word. And when a person fills their mind with God's word, what happens is they fight sin and they obey God. It's then that they would have a prosperous way in the land. God's people are on the cusp of entering the promised land. They're about to do some pretty crazy fighting, pretty amazing battles. And as they're getting ready to take over all of this territory from these different tribes and these different enemies, you know what God's number one concern is? Joshua, I want you and the people to know how to meditate. Isn't that amazing? Because that's where obedience comes from. That's where fighting our sin has its root. 
And, and by the way, this is why meditation for the Christian is the opposite of disengagement. Now, you know, one of those false images that we have from our, how our culture understands meditation is that you kind of turn your brain off and empty it and disengage. This is the opposite of disengagement. No, to, to be a Christian who meditates on God's truth, if you set aside time to meditate, if you set aside time to fill your mind with God's word, if you set aside time to take God's truth and think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it, you are not disengaging from reality. You are throwing yourself headlong into a life of obedience, a very fulfilling life. I mean, this is the most real way to live, isn't it, in obedience to our God who saved us? Is there a more fulfilling way than this? Is there something more real than this? Number three, meditation not only helps us see temptation for what it is, not only does it help us fight sin and obey God, but number three, meditation helps us defeat despair. Meditation helps us defeat despair. Uh, Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, listen, we hear this word peace, and sometimes we think that's just this uh, nice little uh, quality to have. It means that we just feel good or that we feel okay. We don't see how radical it is to, to have it. Paul is writing to people in the first century who are under the threat of persecution. Paul is writing to people who are surrounded by chaos, oppression. The thumb of the empire is coming down. Things in Philippi are about to get much worse for people who follow Jesus of Nazareth, not better. And Paul is saying, listen, I'm gonna tell you how the God of peace can be with you. You remember who he's writing to? They had a lot more in common with Christians in the Middle East than they would have in common with Christians here. Not as far as how they were saved, but as far as what kind of opposition that they faced. And Paul is saying, by the way, you guys can have peace. Here's how I'm going to end my letter. Here's this final thing you need to know. Uh, how's your thought life? <laughs> as readers like, what? What do you mean, how's our thought life? People want to put us in jail. Our, my neighbors want to kill me. What do you mean, how's my thought life? Paul said, this is how the God of peace is going to be with you. He's talking to people encountering great suffering, suffering that most of us can't imagine, can't understand. He's talking to people that it would make sense if they were trapped in despair and anxiety. It would make sense if these people had no peace of God, as if they had totally given up on life. And he says, the God of peace will be with them. And it's not based on their circumstances, it's based on what they're thinking about. Could that be any less true of us? If they could be in that situation and have God's peace based on how they were meditating, do you think God could give us peace in our circumstances if we meditate? Meditation doesn't get you out of suffering, of course, but it does help you in your suffering. 
And by the way, how would, how would they know what is true and what is honest and what is just and what is pure if they weren't meditating on Scripture? That's what he's encouraging them to do. Now, finally, let's get to the practical stuff. How can I start doing this? We've talked about what it is and what it can do for us, but how can I, if I've never done this before, this biblical meditation, how can I start? Now, again, we don't, really, we don't need to start meditating because we're already doing it. We already meditate. We're all meditators in here, but what we need to start doing is putting some different tea bags in uh, the hot mug that is our brain. We need some different stuff to stew if we want the tea to be good. The question is not, are we meditating? It's, do we have a meditation life that gets the most out of godly thoughts by giving attention to God's truth? We think and we think and we think about something, but do we think and think and think and think about God's truth? Let me walk you through just a couple of very, very simple steps. Number one, if you want to start meditating today, just begin small. Small portions of time. Very, very small portions of time. You don't have to read books about Christian meditation, although you can. There's a lot of them, and a lot of them are very good. You don't have to do that to meditate. You you don't have to visit a spiritual retreat center You don't need to join a group. You don't need to buy a cabin in the woods. You can begin small. Because, again, this is something that's very, very natural for us. So uh, in the back, um, uh, the the ushers at the end are going to be handing these out as you you exit. But we have exercise sheets that are going to help you begin if you're interested. And I really hope you are. I I hope this is something that you really sink your teeth into. Uh, This will help you begin to learn how to meditate. And all I'm going to ask you to do this week is just one time, the next seven days, one time, that's it. Take eight to ten minutes. Eight to ten minutes. That's it. Now we wait. We'll add an an eight to ten minute event for all kinds of things, right? Sometimes accidentally, like if you get stuck at the train, that's 12 minutes. You can easily fit this in there. Take eight to ten minutes. Go to bed uh, you know, or get up just a little bit earlier. It's not that hard to get up eight minutes earlier. You know, press the snooze six times instead of seven. There you go. You got your eight minutes. All I'm asking you to do, I'm not asking you to become some sort of monk or becoming some meditation warrior. Just take eight to ten minutes one time this week. I think we can do that. And go through this sheet. Now, here's how the sheet works. Number one, you're going to have to find a quiet, comfortable place where you won't get bothered, if possible, for eight to ten minutes. I know this is difficult, especially if you have kids. That's why it may have to be in the early morning. Pick a very short passage of Scripture, just three to five verses. Now, you may already have some ideas on how to do that, because if you've done some of the other worksheets, you already have some Scriptures that you've kind of fed into your declarations— you know, removing uh, the lie, replacing truth, uh, digging new trenches to deal with the ruts that you've had. Well, as you've done those exercises, you've found scripture passages that have encouraged you, scripture passages that, that you have to remind yourself of to remember God's truth. So take one of those, just three to five verses. When you select that, you pray for God to help you. Pray for God to to let the Spirit help you focus on His Word. Then you read the passage, and this, by the way, is all in here. You don't have to write this down. It's all right here in this sheet. You read the passage five times slowly, 
And then you just spend a few moments and open up to the Lord about what you need that day from that passage. This isn't rocket science. It's not complicated. You just open to the Lord about what you need from that passage and write out at least one thought that occurred to you while you were meditating. Just one thought. Now, you can get a lot of sheets and do more than one if you want. But if you've not done this before, that's all I'm asking you to do. So take a passage, read it five times, spend some time before the Lord, and write out whatever comes to mind. Now, uh, you don't have to have one of these to meditate. Actually, meditation is best when you don't need things like this. But what I'm hoping this can do for you, and I'm not asking you uh, to do anything I've not done. I've done these. This is how I learned how to meditate, practice exactly like this. Um, I'm not asking you to do anything, anything crazy. Just do this once, eight to ten minutes this week. Now, the, my hope is, and I, I think you'll find this can become very habitual, when you start intentionally doing things like this, you will catch yourself meditating. I mean, you may catch yourself while you're doing your Bible reading stopping and just thinking about a verse, which is okay. That's okay. You, you may catch yourself being tempted and think about something that you know is true because God says it in his word and you just spend some time thinking about it before the Lord. You're chewing it, swallowing it, and bringing it back. This is, is best when it's habitual and when it becomes automatic in your life. But if it's not habitual, if it's not automatic in your life, hey, there's no shame. Grab one of these, try it out this week. Be simple. Number two, be strategic. Be strategic. In the exercise sheet, I've not given you a text of Scripture because I want you to pick a text of Scripture that has particularly helped you. Again, it could be something you've, a passage of Scripture you used in one of your earlier exercise sheets, or it could be something else. It could be a verse that you've memorized or a couple verses. But you need to pick it to deal with the particular lies that you have trouble with. There are lies that you meditate on, and you need to counter that with good meditation. So what does this strategy look like when, it, when it's played out? Well, let me just give you an example. This is a verse that uh, in, in, in the past I used for an exercise similar to this, and I still think of this uh, verse today, okay? Romans 5.1. This is just something that helped me. The scripture says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can be tempted to think, man, I really don't deserve heaven, which I don't. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. <laughs> I don't know why God doesn't punish me for my sin. Will God really forgive me if I ask for it? And then I remember, wait, that's not true. I go back to that verse, and I read it, and then I read it again, and I quote it, and I quote it again, and again, and again. I have peace with God through Jesus. If I realize that I'm living in the fear of man, that I'm too worried about what other people think of me, and I'm worried, man, I have to be accepted by other people, I don't want to offend them, I don't want to get them mad at me, then I can remember, wait, wait a second, I'm, I'm living in the fear of man, I'm back to this besetting sin, but God accepts me in Jesus. I'm justified by faith in Jesus. So I don't have to be this concerned with how I'm accepted by other people. If I'm worried that God won't take care of me or won't meet my needs or the needs of my family, then I go back to Romans 5.1. It just pops up in my head and I think, man, I am justified in God with Jesus. 
Of course he'll take care of me. Would he not take care of his own son? And I'm in his son. So we are meditators and we are meditating, but here's the question that I want to challenge you tonight. Are you meditating on God's truth? Do you set aside time to take God's truth and think about it and think about it and think about it? I hope that you see meditation for what it really is, spiritual warfare. In fact, this is warfare with with long-term consequences. How our spiritual life will be five years from now depends on what we meditate on and how we meditate today. That's where it starts. The old adage goes like this, so a thought reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Who we are begins with how we meditate. So what I want to ask you to do, in addition to taking this this sheet tonight, is this. Let's come to the Lord tonight and ask for his help to be people who go to war against sin by meditating on God's truth. Father,